FOLA Capital helps small businesses raise capital using one of the several programs authorized under the 2012 JOBS Act. They are especially passionate about helping to raise capital for veteran-owned, women, and minority-owned small businesses across the country. Be sure and check them out at folacapital.com. We're back. I am Chase Roth, and I have co-hosting with me today, Avery Washington. Thanks for being here, Avery. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I think this is going to be fun. And we have a special guest today, Jody Fletcher. Happy to be here. Next to the best-dressed man in Wilmington. (laughs) Always Always. the best-dressed man. We were just discussing this. It doesn't even even pay to try to compete. Just wear your T-shirt. Be okay with it. That's right. Because Avery is always going to outclass everybody. Just a chronic overdresser. Trying to avoid decision fatigue. That's all. Decision Looking at you fatigue, gives me yeah. decision fatigue. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> this is easy. I have a black one. <laughs> but it's kind of nice because then you don't even, like you said, you don't have to compete. You're like, all right, I'm just going to wear what I'm going to wear because Avery's got us covered on everything else. <laughs> yep, yep. He's, Classing he's, up the joint. He's covering the image for the for the entire veteran community. I don't have to worry about it. Avery, <laughs> Avery's got a handle. I got you. I got you covered. We were just discussing before, uh, before we went live uh, – how taking a passion and turning into work can maybe suck the fun out of it in some ways for some people. And uh, I've got an example I'll share real quick from the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps was able to take things that I used to pay money to do that I thought were really fun and make them absolutely miserable. And one of those was rock climbing. Having gone to assault climbers school, I never wanted to climb again in my life. You guys have anything like that that, that the That's Marine Corps crazy. did to you guys? There's so much character to build in Bridgeport. <laughs> yes. Why would you not want more of it? <laughs> I think I left with plenty. For um, me, it was – I've got a couple of examples. I never did a dive package that wasn't in January. Mm. You know, I, I was never in that cycle where it was like, oh, hey, we're doing a dive package in Hawaii or something awesome. It was always Del Mar Boat Basin, middle of January, 2 o'clock in the morning, freezing – And, you know, I grew up diving as a kid, and the military took the fun out of that. Uh, And then one day, it was in uh, free fall school or whatever, and so we're sitting there, and, you know, you go through the first week, and it's all Hollywood, so you're just jumping, skydiving, having fun. The next week, it's all kitted out. I mean, obviously, walking in and out of the bird with 100 pounds strapped to you, all this junk on, and so we're sitting there just miserable. It's hot as all get out in... Arizona, and my buddy looks over at me. He's like, I just realized that the cooler you look is inversely proportionate to how much fun you're having. That's exactly it, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that's the picture everybody sees is like people kitted out and doing all this awesome stuff, but the reality is it sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like there's an inverse relationship between speed and security. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Same, yes. same with, with coolness and comfort. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, those are the two that pop into my mind. That's 100% true. I I have to completely piggyback off of those. Diving first, especially on a rebreather, there's just nothing. You can't even breathe normal <laughs> unless you're kicking your life away. That is the coolest photo, the least comfortable thing to put on or use. And then jumping, the same thing. I actually, a, a lot of people get an adrenaline rush jumping. They're really excited about it. 
uh, believe it or not, I'm the same jumping as I am not jumping any other time. I'm very analytical. So it's more like, if I do this, this should happen. If I do that, that should happen. But I was also terrible at it. But I get into something where I'm willing to do the repetition over and over. But people get concerned when you're tumbling with like 100 pounds of gear on. So they come up with all these rules for you. So I was like, all right, well, this is a waste of my time. I'm just going to fun jump and keep my quals on and my pay going because you guys aren't like built for the road, apparently. You're like scared for me. I just want to get better, which only happens with doing this over and over. So that was definitely two things. I would, but I would go on a jump before I'd get on a roller coaster, which I tell people all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. Explain that. Because, all right, I'll even give a comparison. So what makes a horror movie good is it frightens you. What makes a roller coaster good is it frightens you. You feel like you're falling to your death, but you aren't. I don't find that fun or entertaining. <laughs> when you jump out of a plane, you're moving at the relative speed of the aircraft. So unless you jump out of a helicopter because they have lower forward speeds, you don't feel the sensation of falling, even in hitting terminal velocity. So it's more like sticking your head out the window on the highway trying to breathe but you don't feel like you're falling relative to anything else, or physically. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of wind in your face, you position your body, or you're a giant tumbling mess. So it's more like, I do this, this should happen, I do that, that should happen, this is how high I am, I can do this, this, that, check this, that, the third, this is how high I am, okay, pull this, pull that, these should happen, this has happened or hasn't happened, I need to do this, 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 or so on, Right. So it's not like a roller coaster. You could tell someone every turn it's going to make, but when they get off, if you ask them the turns it made, they'd be like, uh, I don't know. It's just a giant adrenaline rush. But for me, it was more technical, just inputs and, and outcomes hmm. until you hit the ground. There's got to be an element of control as well. When you're jumping, mm -hmm. you're in control. And when you you're on a roller coaster, yeah. <laughs> that's you hope you are, right? <laughs> Sky Shark, uh, you know, there's always that, yeah. Oh. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I could see that. I could see that. Anytime you're out of control, um, yeah. I, the one thing that didn't get ruined, though, was shooting because I, I really get into doing, I can really appreciate manipulating little inputs to change outcomes over and over and testing that repeatedly. So that's what I liked about jumping and what I liked about shooting. There's just, you can't really do that with diving. You just do it over and over and you're like, wow, this magic keeps working the same way. It's nuts to me. <laughs> Looking at the back of a rebreather is like, God exists. I don't know. What is this magic, this bag and magic? And kitty litter. That, that's what concerned me, <laughs> right? So when you're when you're prepping your 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 rebreather, you've got the sodasorb, which is directly in your breathing loop. But to put it in the canister, you've got to wear gloves, mm -hmm. a mask, a face shield, and goggles. But yet it's in, it's directly in your breathing loop. That never made sense to me. If it's I've got so a, bad that you got to kid up with PPE mm -hmm. to handle it. But then I'm putting but then it in the closed system that I'm breathing all day long yeah. and you're fine. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it at all. How it works, how it's not 
bad for me underwater somehow to breathe it, but somehow I'm pouring it in a can and throwing it in the trash. I need to take all these safety precautions. <laughs> this is very strange. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and, and maybe say that it's 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 similar to how uh, COVID can't get you after 10 p.m. because mm-hmm. it goes to bed, right? You yes. only need to wear masks up to a certain point, and then everything exactly. goes away. And I didn't then, I didn't realize that COVID had a bedtime. I'm... It did it did in 2020 uh, when all the restrictions were out. We're looking oh, back at right. all, yeah, all the restrictions, yeah, 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 like yeah. it was if you're in a restaurant or a bar from this time to this time, and and if you're not, then it's okay. If you're standing, it's you're exempt. Yeah. COVID can't get no, you. No, you sit down. It's more like the same way as from the door to your table, it's going to Dangerous. get you. But once you sit down, you're safe. You're, you're, except your server. It's more like that. Yeah. Because they're, they're not at the table. That's why they're not safe. But see, <laughs> so the table's a safe place. Yes. That's why we're good here. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cool. I'm still waiting for the, the – I don't know if it's going to be a, a horn or a third eye. I'm – Fully expect something to grow from all the the diving and all the you know soda sorb and everything else that we were exposed to. I don't know. I'm waiting. I don't think I dove enough to get shorter, but I've heard stories. Oh, I've I've lost an inch. I lost an inch in the sure. first like six years I was in the Marine yeah. Corps. I think a lot of that's just carrying heavy stuff around. Yeah, and body armor running. Yeah, I mean that's. I don't know. You maybe think jumping I, though would stretch you back out, right? That should be the. I think so. But then you land. That's true, yeah. And it's like, boom, all that stretching <laughs> yeah, is, I mean, is just completely undone. Because I don't know about you guys. Every, I, I, was only around, I only jump around shoots. Mm-hmm. So every time I land, I look like Wile E. Coyote. I created my own little mushroom cloud. <laughs> I rolled. I got drugged with the wind. Uh, it ne- I never had a landing where I was like, that didn't hurt. Nothing's probably broke. Ooh. Every landing was like, okay, what's broke? And then you start doing the, the pat down and see if there's bones sticking out anywhere. Yeah, I, when you're jumping the, you know, the ram air shoots the squares, you're either going to have an awesome landing uh-huh. or a catastrophically bad landing. Uh-huh. <laughs> no it's gray one, area. No, it's one or the other. Uh-huh. It is definitely. one or the other. It, it definitely is. And when I, after I did free fall, and especially after I became a JM, I tried to go back and forth between the two, but I just kept having terrible landings on round shoots. Or it's just like, look, there's too much muscle memory built up, and you're just going to hurt yourself. Or I would just land, like, both feet open and regret it immediately. It was bad. Yeah. It was so bad. So I just decided, all right, there's no more of this. We'll make sure I stay on top of being a jam for both, but this is, I'm only going to hop out on a free fall shoot because this thing's going to jack my knees up. But it's a lot of fun, unless the wind is higher than the forward speed of the parachute and then it's le- less fun yes because you're going really fast <laughs> backward backward but it it buffs out normally that's good <laughs> well let's bring the conversation back around to jody um we've heard from avery before he's he's been a guest on the show in the past so we've got to hear a little bit about avery's background and in, in the marine corps as a marine raider and and now in the civilian world making huge moves in the real estate market as both an investor, a developer, uh, and a realtor at times. Uh, Jody, tell us a little bit about your time in the service, what you did when you left active duty, and kind of where you're at now. I joined in 92, and I just retired officially in November of, well, last year. So I did a little over 29 years, almost 30. And, you know, I kind of came in to be a corpsman. My dad was a corpsman. 
followed in those footsteps and found myself in the reconnaissance community as a as a recon corpsman. And then, you know, we stood up MARSOC, and so I was there for all of that. So the first 20 years of my my career was as a, a SARC. Had a ton of fun, did, a, you know, several deployments and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up moving into the command master chief position there at MARSOC and just fell in love with that job. So I went on and did a couple more tours as that. So the last decade I spent kind of in that capacity, more of a leadership mentor, old fat old guy behind the desk is what I like to call it, uh, role. But I had the opportunity to work for some amazing leaders when I was the, you know, the command master chief. And then, uh, yeah, so kind of transitioned out and started executive coaching and consulting for organizational development, uh, just helping people build better culture, increasing communication, all that kind of stuff. So it's been, it's been awesome. I've had a great ride. I bet you have a very interesting perspective, given that you served almost a decade in the 90s and then 20 years in the 2000s. What was, what was the 90s like compared to the first 10 years of, the, of 2000? It was a lot of preparation. Everything, you know, and, and I would tell people all the time, if you stay in long enough, something's going to happen and you're going to get to go and exercise all the things that you've been practicing for however long you've been in. That was the 90s. It was nothing but training, nonstop training. We did all kinds of training. You know, we were in Bridgeport. We were, like, I did everything. And then once the war kicked off, all of that stops and it becomes very focused. And so then you're just training to go and, and do the things that we're supposed to be doing or whatever, you know, is, is uh, appropriate for what was going on at the time. So, yeah, it, that was the big thing. Um, deployments were different. Views were, you know, just kind of floating around and stop places and do some training and get some liberty and all that. And then once the, you know, once we hit 2000 after 9-11, you're just flying straight over or you're sailing straight over. So there was not as much fun to be had. All right, I never got to have any of the fun. I was in from 01 to 13. I'd never set foot on a boat. Not once. It was all plain. Well, I don't know if I'd call being on the boat any fun, but no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it was just different. It was, it was a lot different. And I think that would be the biggest thing was the training verse, uh, the training, not knowing what you're going to be doing. So you're just training for whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when whatever happened, then it becomes more focused. Highly specific. Yeah, so you it's know almost you're going, like who you're fighting. Right. Yeah. Prior to that, you had ten years of something could happen here. It could right. Happen absolutely. There. This place is starting to look hot. Maybe it'll be there, and so you could never really tailor your training to a specific environment or threat. It was just be ready for anything. Yeah, it's like being an athlete in high school where you play all the sports, and mm. then somebody says, "This is the sport you're best at," and that's what you focus your attention on. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So you left active duty when this this last year, right? Very recently? In November. Yeah. November. Last November. So just recently out. Right. Very recently I actually, out. you know, with terminal and all that stuff, I was out in June. Okay. But after everything panned out with all the leave and all that stuff, November was I was officially a free a free man. And how's that been feeling? Oh, it's amazing. Do you, you like it? I love it. What do you love about it? I love that I'm not that you don't make your own decisions in the military, but I love that I don't really have anybody to answer to. Mm-hmm. So I, I still can't sleep in, but I'm not waking up at 4 to sneak in PT before I go to work. You know, now I sleep into 6 or 6.30, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And then I wake up, and if 
there's waves, I go surf. And if there's not, then I try to do something else. This morning, I was on the stupid elliptical thing, you know, but just to get some some exercise in, mm-hmm. hang out with my girls, um, and just work as much as I can whenever, you know, those things pop up. But, uh, yeah, it's just really being free and being able to make those choices. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And I will say probably after 30 years, I might have a little more flexibility than somebody would who gets out right after 20. Mm-hmm. Financially, you know, there's right, a little right, more yeah. of a buffer there. Uh, yeah. That extra ten years gives you, you know, another twenty five percent on your your paycheck. So right. I'm not in a position where I absolutely have to work. So when I do work, everything I'm making is is going toward, you know, hopefully paying off the house faster or travel or you know, fun stuff too. Yeah, not not necessities like groceries. Right. Yeah. What do That's you? Nice. What do you think your biggest challenge was with? either planning a transition or, or executing? For me, the unknown. And it was kind of coming to grips with that because you just don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, with the VA and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I've had several friends who, you know, transitioned before I did. So I had a bit of a roadmap. Hey, make sure you're doing this by this date. And there's enough information out there that the military itself provides, which was good. But then having somebody who had just gone through it say, hey, don't forget to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I found out a few weeks ago, I had a bit of a hiccup with the SBP, that Survivor's Benefit Plan thing. Okay, The dates were wrong. So then they automatically started taking that out. So now I'm telling everybody, hey, make sure you, you know, if, if you fall into this position or, or you're looking at that thing, the lessons learned. So the unknown was difficult to um, to comprehend, I guess, to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, 30 years of my life, you know, I came in when I was 12 days after I turned 18 years old, and I grew up a military brat also. So it's really been the only thing I've ever known. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's challenging. You're changing a significant part of your life for nearly as long as you've been alive. I mean, after retirement, right, and you're going into this new territory and seeing how it goes. I mean, I guess at some point you don't really have a choice. I I think that's a challenge I see a lot of folks deal with. I'm always interested to hear how folks overcome it when they transition out of the military or, or whatever it is that they're doing, especially with a family. It's interesting you say that. A lot of people, I guess, were telling my wife, oh, you know, are you going to go back to work? Or mm-hmm. almost like we'd get tired of each other. And she says, "What are you talking about? I can't <laughs> wait for him to be." You know? And so far, uh, things are great. Mm-hmm. I think we have enough things where you know I go surf or go do things or whatever. Some, and I'm at home way more than I ever was. But she hasn't she hasn't uh, told me to get out yet. So That's everything's good. good. That yeah. is that it, is important though. I mean, being single at the time, it's not really something I thought of, like being up under each other more often and driving one another crazy. But that's something you don't ever hear people talk about, being around one another more, which is a very likely scenario if you're retiring especially. It's it's a change. Mm-hmm. It's a change. I mean, maybe it was different uh, that you had you're more of those administrative positions for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you still had deployments and things, but... Not deployments, but we were traveling before COVID. We were traveling all the time. But I know uh, a lot of a lot of people that I've known 
retire and end up divorced within like two years. And it was a change for me and my wife having gone from maybe getting two weeks in a row of pillow time at home, you know, to where you swoop in and, you know, daddy's home and right. it's all fun and games mm-hmm. and, you know, you're there for a couple of weeks and you kind of upset the balance a little bit, but everybody just is happy to have you there and see you that you're gone again, you know, mm-hmm. for who knows how long, maybe it's a couple of weeks again and then you're back for a day or two, or maybe it's a nine month deployment to now I'm there every single day. And it's great now, but there was a period where, we had to like refigure out what life looked like with me there full time in the family and not just as this visitor who'd swoop in occasionally. And for me as well, working out of the house. So, all, um, you know, I'm, I'm set up kind of in the middle of the we've got this, uh, I don't know, a, just a big open space. I don't know if it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a formal family room or whatever, but we've got a bunch of books and that's where the disc is. So I. I do a lot of work there if I'm just doing administrative stuff. And then if I'm coaching and on Zoom, I go down to this other room where it's, you know, private and I can close it. But that's a that's a, a bit of a change or something that we had to figure out because I'm working. And, you know, when you're in the zone and working and then the wife comes in and is just, you know, wanting to talk or hang out or whatever. And um, luckily, the stuff that I do is I can usually just stop and hang out for a bit and, and whatever. But that's the other piece to it is working yeah. out of the house. Yeah, I do too. And like this morning I, I was sitting at my computer at six thirty, and at like nine o'clock, my daughter comes in, you know, ready to sit and chat and I'm knee deep and getting this email distro thing set up and pushed out. And, but still it's like, okay, let's close the computer for a couple of minutes because I am home. So I can take yep. this five minutes to sit here and chat with my daughter. I'm not somewhere else in an office. I'm not deployed. So let's do that. Let's just close the computer and give her some attention for a few minutes. I look at that also the same way that I would when I was still in and somebody would walk into the office Uh and let, I rarely shut my door. And that was kind of like the, Hey, I'm something's going on and I'm dealing with it. Right. Other than that, my door was always open. So if somebody walked in my office, I would always stop. And I'm sometimes I would say, Hey, give me one minute so I could finish what I was doing real quick. And then I would stop, come out from behind the desk and go sit down with them at the table. So I've kind of put myself in that mindset. You know, if my wife or daughter come in, same same concept, right? Of like, right. okay, you know, let me let me pause. What I'm doing is is uh the world's not gonna burn down if I don't finish this in that in the mm-hmm. next ten minutes. And I think that's something a lot of leaders struggle with is you know, what's what's urgent is rarely important and what's important is rarely urgent. Kind of being able to compartmentalize that or, or identify this isn't something that has to be done right this second. But we tend to get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. And so when people are coming in, we dismiss them or don't give them our full attention because for whatever reason, we, we get narrowed in and start thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't finish this. But if you were to pull back and look at it, once in a blue moon, there's something that is really that critical. Right. Mm-hmm. Or that, that important and urgent. That's right. That's, and that, like you said, is very rare. It's very rare. Yeah. So – Having the ability and the capacity to to take a step back and and sit down and talk to people is is huge. And so now this is something you do professionally. This conversation we're having, the advice right. you're given, is something that you're you're building a business around, correct? Absolutely. Tell us about that. I talk a lot about self awareness with the executives that I coach, and then in organizational development kind of stuff, it's it's all about communication, either setting up setting up healthy boundaries. So that if somebody does come in and you say, hey, 
give me five minutes or give me 10 minutes, it doesn't hurt their feelings, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. They understand that you're going to give them the time, but right this second, you need a few more minutes. Um, It's having the self-awareness to know what's going on with you, Mm -hmm. because whatever's going on with you, I, I talk a lot about creating your own weather system or being your own weather system. So if there's something going on with you, you're going to affect everybody around you. Mm-hmm. If I had a bad morning and I come into the office, you know, I'm lightning and thunder because I've had a bad morning at the house or somebody cut me off on the road to work or whatever. I have to be self-aware enough to know that that's how I'm feeling and try to like control it mm-hmm. before I start to interact with people. And it's, it's all about developing a culture where people feel safe enough to say things like, hey, I've got an idea. Or, you know what, that kind of, that kind of pissed me off when you said that. Mm-hmm. Or I don't agree with what you're saying. There's a lot of leaders that, that have a hard time listening to their people because they're not listening to themselves first. You have to be able to hear yourself before you can start hearing what other people are having to say. Right. You, you intertwined a whole lot of wisdom in that minute or two minutes that you just went through there. A couple of things that stood out to me was uh, consistency in presence and personality. Sounds like you place a lot of importance on that. You talked about being your own weather system. If you Correct me if I'm off track or whatever on what you're saying, but it sounds like you're saying if somebody comes in one day and they're angry or upset and the next day they're super calm and chill, they create this, uh, this atmosphere of nobody ever knows who they're dealing with. Right? They don't know, is he the angry guy today? Is he the happy guy today? Can we talk to him, not talk to him today? So you're placing an, an importance on being consistent in your, your personality and moods? Absolutely. And when you do that, it, you will see within a team environment, if you're that person who's all over the place, people will tend to shut down out of preservation. Mm-hmm. So even if you're in a good mood, they're probably not going to open up and talk to you in a way that is productive. Mm-hmm or, you know, matters to the organization or whatever it is that the team's doing. You have to be consistent in a sense that they know they can always come to you. And this is where the piece of being self-aware, so that if you are having a bad day and somebody comes in, you can say, hey, listen, I'm off today, right? I'm having a bit of a bad day or something. And sometimes even just saying that to somebody in your team allows, it helps you get it out. Uh, but it also lets them know what they're dealing with, because everybody's human. We all have bad days. We all I was just going to say, it humanizes you with your with your team too. Yeah, you're not a robot. You're not just a machine that's always demanding, demanding, demanding. But you have issues too. And think of the scenario where you're like, I'm having a, you know, I'm having an off day, mm-hmm. and then one of the people in your team says, All right, well, is there anything I can do to help? Mm-hmm. You know, now you're building those bonds that are going to actually make you a better team, make you a better leader, make them, you know, better team members, and all that. Uh, so that you can move forward. And maybe they can't help you, but at least if they know what's going on. If you're sitting at a, at a, you know, at a conference table, right, and it doesn't matter if it's the boss or not the boss, but somebody who's normally in this type of mood, and so you're going around the table and everybody's talking, and, you know, Chase, you say, hey, I've got this idea about whatever. And I'm normally the chipper guy, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, sounds good. You're probably going to put feelings on me based on the perception that you have. Mm-hmm. Your perception is, wow, Jody hated my idea, and you know now he's pissed at me, or now he's he's uh, he doesn't take me seriously, or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand things mm-hmm. that you're going to say 
in your head based off me saying, yeah, that's, that's good. When the reality is maybe I'm preoccupied because of something else that's going on. Right. But you don't know that. Mm-hmm. So if you build that environment where you, know, you go around the table before you start the meeting and check in, basically. And it, it opens everybody up to some degree to say, I had a great weekend. You know, they'll say it's Monday. Oh, I had a great weekend. My son won a soccer game, and, and then we went and did this. Okay, so everybody knows Chase is in a good mood. Yeah. And then when it comes around to me, I'm like, hey, I got sideswiped this morning. I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with my insurance company, so I'm not all here. Then when you say something like, oh, hey, I've got this idea, and I say, yeah, yeah, now you're not going to put those, you're not going to assume. There's context for your reaction. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And it lets everybody else know. And when you do that on a regular basis, everybody's already getting to know more about each other. So if I know that your son's in soccer, you know, and I know that, that uh, you know, you, you found a new lady that you're dating or, or whatever, that's bringing us together as a team. Mm-hmm. Just by the simple act of 15 or 20 seconds before you get started, letting everybody know how you're doing. So, I have a question. So how, do you, how do you recommend teams or organizations balance that, like more transparent communication without leading to people thinking that now or leaning on excuses, right? Because that's something that people are really prone to as well, right? Self-accountability isn't as common as people would like it to be when they're the one dealing with the consequence of said action. Uh, So is that something you've seen ever be an issue? And, And if so, how do you recommend addressing it? That's where leadership comes in. Leadership to me is an art form. Everybody paints differently. Mm -hmm. And it's about having the courage as the leader to have the difficult conversation with the person who everybody has a bad day. Mm -hmm. But if every single time we come to the table, you've got something going on or an excuse as to why you have not done whatever it is I need you to do, Mm -hmm. that's on me to pull you in and say, hey, Avery, what's going on, man? I've found so many leaders, and at the root of most organizations that have poor, poor culture, it's because the leaders with, throughout that organization have a hard time with difficult conversations, mm-hmm. and they avoid conflict at all costs. So the answer is to either ignore it and just let you kind of do your thing while the rest of the team is picking up your slack and in the same time getting upset about it, mm-hmm. or the answer is to move you. And in the military, how many times have we seen that? Oh, you just marginalize somebody that's not performing. Or you marginalize them, yeah. yeah. You just put them off in the corner. You give them some sort of billet that's of minor importance, if any, and that's their sole job. Like we call them the pecker checkers, right? You decide what's, what's, what's the real the real name for that. The, the sa- sacco, your, your analysis. Well, oh, that's yeah, not yeah, the yeah, name. Yeah, the administration yeah, name, make, but... make sure that you're <laughs> peeing in the cup the right yeah. way. That's his sole job in life is to collect the urine samples for all the drug tests because nobody can trust him to be reliable enough right. to show up and do his regular job. And you'll see it in corporate America. And, and I was, when I first started, I started coaching about a year before I actually retired. And I feel that now I've got a, a better handle on what's going on in corporate America just mm-hmm. from the companies that I've worked with and it's amazing to me how many similarities there are. But then when I sit back, I think it, it's also not surprising because people are people. 
Yeah, there's only so many Certainly. ways to deal with this situation. Well, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're, you know, I don't know, working for some multi-billion dollar company doing taxes or whatever or doing military stuff. People problems are people problems. But it, it, it's, um, it's, the, it's the avoidance of conflict that is, is normally at the root of it, right? So in your, in your uh, example there, moving you to a different department. Okay, well, Avery's not working out on our team. We're going to put him over there. But never tell you what you did wrong. To not work out over there. To not work out <laughs> over there. And then you're passing the problem. Yeah. That's how, A, you're building silos. Because then what's the other organization or the other team feel? Like, oh, they dumped. We all know Avery's no good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they, they put him on us, and now it's ours to deal with. Mm-hmm. As opposed to that leader just sitting down and saying, hey, man, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time, it's something you can figure out. Mm-hmm. I think I've shared this story before, uh, you know, like doing podcasts or whatever, but I learned at a very young age. I think I was 19, 18 or 19, and I was a senior corpsman on award. And long story short, we had this guy who just, he'd come from the post office because in a hospital, you're there, it's all corpsman, right? He was working in the post office, came up to our ward, just didn't have the aptitude for medicine. Was an amazing human being, super nice guy, didn't have the aptitude for medicine. We all worked with him. This went on for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. He was dangerous, and he was going to hurt somebody, not intentionally, but just because he couldn't do it. Absolutely. And I was a senior corpsman on the ward. I don't think I said that, like a like a junior leadership position, right? So my dad, I think he was he was still in. So I called my dad. I'm like, Pops, what do I do? And he's like, hey, bud, you if you're the leader, you have to be able to have the conversation with him and let him know. He knew he wasn't doing well because we were working with him, mm-hmm. but let him know you know, what's mm-hmm. going on? And he asked me, he said, if you don't do anything with him, is he going to hurt somebody? My dad had been a corpsman too. And I said, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, the writing's on the wall. And he said, well, then that's your responsibility. Because if he does, then that's on you. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my department head. I think she was a lieutenant. And we brought this guy in uh, to her office and basically told him that we were going to you know, we'd done all the paperwork and stuff, but like pull his caduce so he couldn't be a corpsman anymore. Mm-hmm. He was crying. She was crying. Like it was a hot mess, <laughs> right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, we were able to re-rate him to postal clerk. That was still a rate of the Navy at the time and moved mm-hmm. him back down to the post office where he was awesome. Absolutely. It doesn't always work out where it's like, oh, Avery, I can solve your problem, you know, or I can help you. Sometimes, well, sometimes that is the problem. That they're in the wrong position. Exactly. They're in the wrong seat. Yeah, so maybe they're on the right bus and they're in the wrong seat. Or maybe they're not even on the right bus. And in this case, maybe the guy, he, he wasn't know. in the right bus. Yeah. You know, And we were able to solve that problem. And then I would see him every day. I'd walk into the hospital because the, the post office was right there where we came in. He was happy as could be. Definitely. He's thriving. He was thriving. But mm-hmm. that was a, especially as an 18-year-old kid, that was a hard conversation to have with another. I think he was older than me, too. I think he was like in his 20s or something. The military can be worried like that. But they just, he had been pushed around. That's how he ended up in the post office in the first place, because he hadn't worked out somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you, for me, it was a a monumental lesson at a very young age. But now I'm talking to C-suite people that have a hard time. Haven't figured that out yet. They haven't. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? They have not. It, It blows my mind. And when I ask them, you know, was that person surprised? Or have you told that person? No. And I always tell them, that's your fault. That's on you. And in, until you have that conversation with them, you own it. So 
Yeah. So you started coaching while you were still on active duty. I did. So what's your uh, what's your business called? Do you have a business name? E5 Professional Coaching. And where'd that come from? Everywhere. Okay. I don't know. Um, E5, well, E5's a, 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 it, a, it's, yes. it's a pay grade. It is. Right? And it was is my it, favorite. Is it related to that in some it, way? It was my favorite. Okay. It was my favorite pay grade because you had just enough, I don't want to say authority, but just enough, um, just enough ass, really, that people were listening to you, but not enough where you had to make big decisions. You well, know? It's all you, your oh, fault. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, I have to agree. Being a sergeant was awesome. Best it was yeah. was absolutely awesome. Being a staff sergeant was the worst. One step up was absolutely terrible. Next to being a sergeant, the next best thing was being a gunny. There is that. So gap. that's chief, right? For, for Once us, you it hit was chief. chief yeah. It's like you're a water walker. The whole world changes. Uh, like you have your own spaces on ships and everything, right? Like being a chief is a, is a pretty big deal. Is an E five for me? You're still. To put it in corporate terms, you're still an individual contributor. You're still doing the work, but you're also leading people. And mm-hmm. that was amazing. And then you're right. Then once you step into the chief role, and that's a huge transition for a lot of people, whether it's in the military or, or corporate America, where it's not about you anymore. It's about the team. Mm-hmm. You're judged by how well your team is doing. So when we transition people into becoming chiefs in the Navy, that's really the major focus is it's not about you anymore. Because at that point, they've worked so hard, but it's all about me, 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 me. I'll call it warming up for the opera, right? Mm-hmm. Me, me, me. Quit warming up for the <laughs> opera, now it's about your team. Yeah, and you see awesome. that in any organization that you're in, where people have gotten to where they are because they're really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. But once you open your arms and have to start taking other people you know, under your responsibility, a lot, of po- a lot of people don't know how to do that. And in corporate America, they don't focus as much as they do in the military on actually training people in leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. Leadership development. There's a huge emphasis on it in the military. I, honestly, it seems like more than ever. I remember the last few years I was in, there were a lot of changes for Lance Corporal's course. I mean, there'd been a Corporal's course. This is a course every rank from E3 to E8. I imagine there's one for E9s. Yeah, symposiums. And yeah. Huge yeah. emphasis on leadership and If you're in SOCOM, you get to double tap. You get to go to right. your yep. service Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've been in the military longer than two weeks, you're leading somebody, <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, as far back as I can remember, it was, you know, hey, Fletcher, in charge of this. Okay. Well, you know, even if camp, it was cleaning the um, bathrooms, yeah. Marine Corps boot camp, I'm sure it was the same for you, right? If there's two of you together, one of you's in charge. Right. Right? Like that's one's right, calling cadence while the other one's walk marching next to him, right? Like one guy's in charge, even if it's two recruits together. So it's pushed into our, our heads at a very early age. And if you think about the way the military functions, and this is why I think military people come out with such an expansive knowledge of leadership, because the breadth is so deep. Every two years, no matter what, you're getting a different leader, depending on what level of, you know, you're working. But at the lower levels, that's cycling even faster. So if you think about a 20 or 30 year career, Cycling out that number of leaders, I don't know if there's a leader type out there I have not experienced yet. Mm -hmm. I've experienced horrible, toxic, crazy leaders, and I've experienced some of the best leaders that, you know, I'd put them up against anybody. Mm -hmm. And everything in between. And you learn from both. 
you learn, wow, that was, that was awesome. I'm definitely going to be doing that. But you also learn, oh, my gosh, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Because you see what it does to the team. Mm-hmm. As you're coming up, you're, you're hopefully putting all these things in the back of your mind and then developing. And, again, this is where leadership is an art. You're developing your own talents, the, the way that you're going to paint the picture for your team or the way you're going to present yourself to them. Let's let's talk about the business of your business for a minute. This is the Veteran Business Collective podcast, so we do have some guests that are probably or uh, some some listeners that are probably interested in. Uh, you know, so this guy goes from the military into the civilian world, starts his own business, doing what you're doing. How'd you go about it, and why? Why did you pick that? Why did you pick being an independent? Why didn't you go try and work for one of the big four and one of their practices doing the similar type thing? Like, how'd you get to where you're at? It was the fact that I, what kept me in that last decade was the coaching and mentoring and the leadership. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I met a, uh, I've got a buddy who I would go see every time I was in DC, if I was up for a meeting there or whatever. And he's a, a very senior partner kind of guy at a massive accounting firm. And we would always catch up. He's a high school buddy. I've known him forever. So we would always catch up and, and go out to dinner, go for drinks, whatever. And we were talking about work, as you know, oftentimes we do, right? Absolutely. And he was just, you know, telling me about this one, this one uh, guy that he had in one of his teams. I always found it fascinating that, again, the people problems were the same, good, good or bad, not necessarily problems, but the people issues were the same. Mm-hmm. But he was telling me about this guy who was an awesome individual contributor, but he was bringing him into a leadership position, and he was really struggling. And he mentioned we hired an executive coach for this guy. Of course, I'd heard the term, but I didn't really understand what it was. And we talked about it a little bit, and and then the conversation went somewhere else. And so I went back and started doing a whole bunch of research, and I was like, that's what I want to do because that's what's kept me in, and that's what I love doing. From a business perspective, it's very similar to my military career. I have no clue how I ended up where I did. (laughs) <laughs> right? When I retired and I'm, I'm looking at, at where I retired from, I mean, I would tell people all the time when they come in and sit down and talk and we're going through career stuff or whatever, I'm like, full disclosure, no clue how I ended up here. Same kind of thing with this. I just, I do stuff because it looks fun or it's something that I know I have a passion for and I just end up like falling into the right place. And I, I did a whole bunch of research. I found a, a coaching academy that was local in Raleigh. I went there and I, I do coach for them as well as now I'm uh, a facilitator in the academy. So I coach for them, teach for them, and then I'm actually getting ready to start um, uh, working for them as the director of organizational development as we you know, get into bigger clients and working more with the organization uh, and the, the individual's executives as well. But yeah, so... There was never any real decision for me, Chase. I don't I don't sit down and say, all right, here it is. I'm going to, you know, I don't map it out. Okay. I literally just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. Hmm. And I have my own company, which I'm building and I'm learning things constantly. I just had a somebody reach out and ask me for something for a speaking engagement. And I was, before I came here, I'm, you know, on the computer trying to build something real quick. So I am building this plane as it's flying. Mm-hmm. 100%, as I'm sure most people are. Like OODA loop in motion. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I I love the motto of do what you can with what you have 
right now. And, and one of the things that I learned in the military, and this is the thing I love the most about the Chiefs Mess, it's the networking aspect of it. And so it's one thing that I've brought into my transition, right, or my retired life, is I know somebody who knows the answer. Mm-hmm. And I have no ego when it comes to picking up the phone and saying, hey, Avery, I know you're really good at this. I just got hit with this. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. So... That helps a ton is I'm starting to develop my own business and and even, you know, working for somebody else as well. And that's all contract work. It's not, you know, I'm not tied to anybody. But uh, because I've also set my own boundaries, I call it the four by four. I work Monday to Thursday from 12 to four. Those are my open hours. And that gives me the entire morning to surf or do whatever I want. And then I'm done by four so I can hang out with the girls. Mm-hmm. And then Friday is nothing, so that I got a three day weekend every week, uh, and then I can you know I can do admin stuff in between or whatever. But yeah, I think um, I don't know if that answered your question. I think I got squirreled. No, no, it's good. Um, are you are you the only one that's involved in your company? Does your wife contribute in any way or anything like that, or is it just you? She helps. She helps where she can, and it's you know helping me with emails and stuff like that because and she's always asking how can I help. Mm-hmm. And and the the real answer right now is I don't know yet. Right. At some point, I'll be in a place where I can say, okay, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and and know that she's got that. Right now, I'm still figuring stuff out when it comes to a lot of it. The the coaching piece and all that stuff is easy, and that's an individual thing. I mean, you know, coaching is is similar to counseling in that it's it's uh, confidential and you know it's all. You don't disclose anything that goes on in a coaching session and all that. So there's mm-hmm. no way she could help with that. But when it comes to getting on podcasts or, you know, sending proposals out to people and stuff like that, that's where I think she's going to be able to help. We just don't have the problem yet where I'm so busy, you know, that I need. That you need it. Yeah. 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 Now, I've seen a lot of a lot of folks that retire from the military, especially uh, mid-range to senior officers, lieutenant colonels and up. Um, and then a lot of senior enlisted like yourself that leave the military and then try to do something similar to what you're doing, maybe in a different aspect, maybe not specifically coaching, but maybe leadership consulting or, or something in that, that realm. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's either on that path and struggling or wants to go down that path, um, you know, just based on your experience to date? It would be the same thing that, that I did. In the sense of, and I went through the Honor Foundation. I know you all have talked about that before on the podcast. I think everybody's familiar enough with it. But get cups of coffee. Get cups of coffee with people. So I reached out to a whole bunch of, of coaches that are where I want to be. And that my goal is five to ten years from now to be a referral-based coach only. I want a website that's a black screen with my name and my email. So that if you got there, it's because somebody else referred me you know, mm-hmm. uh, to you realizing that to get there, you've got to build up kind of that reputation, right? Mm-hmm. But I was reaching out to those types of coaches and asking them, you know, just to, what, in their opinion, what was important, what wasn't important. There's all kinds of certifications out there. There's different coaching academies. There's the coaching industry in and of itself and the organizational development industry is massive. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different flavors. So it's a matter of figuring out and I've had a lot of these cups of coffee since where people are reaching out to me and I'm more than happy to have them. 
but I always ask them, what's your niche? What's your flavor going to be? I learned early on, you can't just say, I'll coach anybody. Right. And I have a very good friend who's also a coach, and he asked me, he said, what do all your favorite clients have in common? So that was a question that got me thinking about what is it? And it was building that self-awareness within that executive who maybe didn't have as much self-awareness before we started. Mm -hmm. So they can be better leaders and then in turn have better teams, which build better culture and, you know, all of that. That seems to be my flavor because when I'm coaching, I'm no BS. If somebody's, and and I let people know that in a fit call, if somebody's feeding me kind of a line Mm -hmm. or talking uh, around a subject, I'm the first one to say, you and I both know that's BS. Mm -hmm. Not every client wants to be talked to like that or heard hear that. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying I say it in a mean way, but I definitely call out what's really going on. Right. So that's kind of my niche. And that's, I mean, that's, I think, just inherent in the, you know, if you were a, a good leader in the military, you probably have that skill set where you can sit somebody down and say, okay, you know, what's really going on? Yeah. Um, so I would just recommend everybody reach out to somebody, have a cup of coffee and ask them, you know, what are their opinions on certification? What are their opinions on marketing or branding or uh, you know, there's so many different things out there. Now, you've worked very hard, you know, for 30 years to put yourself into a position where you have the luxury to be able to have your four by four, build your business almost as a side hustle, you know, and it will probably continue to grow and, and do extremely well. Do you have any advice for somebody that maybe doesn't have that sort of uh, financial stability like you have from a nice pension from the military, but still wants to get into what you're doing? I mean, can they realistically expect to, to, to do fairly well? Does it take a long time to build up a, a client base? What, what's it like from that aspect? That's where, again, I've fallen into something that was kind of awesome because I fell in with this company. So a lot of my clients right now are coming from them. Okay. And I do have that same discussion with people when I have the cup of coffee and ask, <clears throat> excuse me, ask them what is, not specifically what is your financial situation, but are you in a place where you don't need to make money and you're just doing this because you enjoy it mm-hmm. or are you in a place where you have to still feed the family and all of that. There are, you know, big coaching firms out there where you can get credentialed, get certified, and then get into one of those where you're making, you're not making nearly the amount of money that you would if you were on your own. Mm-hmm. But you could make a living uh, or you continue with, you know, a big kid job once you retire and then do similar to what I was doing when I was still in, which is coaching in the evenings or on the weekends. Treating it more as a side hustle. Until you build up that reputation and that client base where you can, you know, kind of shift gears and say, okay, now I'm going to start doing this full time. Gain the momentum to make that the center of focus. It it seems like something that's a common thread on, on along the spectrum of organizational leadership or being a member of an organization is self-awareness, even with the ability to you know, hold yourself accountable or have tough conversations, right? Or be honest about how to handle something. How do you recommend someone go about improving their self-awareness? It's, I know that's challenging. <laughs> Maybe a whole other episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just stay tuned for his book. Right. <laughs> I think the first thing, honestly, the biggest thing is mm-hmm. is honesty. Being able to look at yourself and have an honest conversation. How am I handling this? How am I, you know, how am I in these situations? 
a lot of people pretend not to know something about themselves. And if you can get beyond that pretending not to know something and just be honest with yourself, whether it's good or bad, mm -hmm. that's where you're going to start to, I mean, that's probably the definition of, of self-awareness. You know, I'm having this feeling. It's not a great feeling, but I'm having it. So what can I do to process it and then, you know, put it out there to the world? Uh, I got certified a while back in the emotional intelligence assessments. Those are great tools. I use them a lot in coaching because you can give somebody this assessment and then uh, give them the results. And you're not looking for a score in emotional intelligence necessarily. What you're looking for are gaps or, uh, you know, like a, a, a spread between certain areas. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can kind of dig in. So if you've got tools like that, then you can say, hey, you know, uh, you scored kind of low on reality testing as opposed to emotional expression or something like that. What does that mean to you? And then it helps them uncover what it is that they're probably pretending not to know That's, about okay. themselves. It's, it's insane how accurate some of those assessments can be. Uh, it's interesting. And sometimes I can remember taking a few and reading the results and being like, man, this reads like I'm a supervillain or something. This is terrible. <laughs> this doesn't look too good. No, but no, the those I've found them super helpful in the past. I've taken too many to remember the names of them, but they're very insightful. Yeah, I call them session fodder because mm -hmm. when you're reading something about yourself, you do have those reactions of mm -hmm. like, yep, totally. That makes sense. Whoa, wait, what about this? Mm -hmm. And that might be one of those things you're pretending not to know. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you read something like that, then I ask the client, you know, what stood out the most? And they'll say, oh, it was, it was this. But I don't know if I agree with you. What don't you agree with? And then that starts a whole conversation. Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of peeling those, those layers of the onion back. Definitely. And ideally a realization of some type. That's awesome. And I also conduct 360 evaluations on the executive clients. So I'll get 10 people. And I ask them to give me 15 to 20 names. And all of these assessments that we do have a 360 component, but I do actual interviews. So I'll call and have, you know, 30-minute conversations with 10 people. It's, it's a peer eval, right? That's so it's, cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, those coupled with the assessment will provide five or six sessions of, of good conversation because, again, you're looking for blind spots. The, the executive might think, well, there's no way I, I don't ever micromanage. I let everybody do everything. And then you get the 360 results back, you know, from interviews that I've conducted talking with people. Mm -hmm. And they say, Avery's the biggest micromanager I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so when they get that, you know, that, that information back, they're like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, objection. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, let's talk about your involvement with the VBC for a minute. Uh, I think the first meeting I remember you coming to was in the summer Maybe it was Seven Mile Post, perhaps. Maybe it was one before then. Uh, I want to say like July, maybe somewhere in there. Maybe June. Uh, anyway, yeah. Sometime this this last year, we've only been around for like a year. Uh, but since uh, becoming involved with the VBC, have you had any made any good connections with anybody? Developed any new relationships as a result of it? Tons of relationships. A lot of great networking. Um, that to me is what that's all about, and I think. Networking is, is the key to it and building those relationships is just offering, you know, um, offering whatever you have without any 
expectation of anything in return. That's been the biggest component for me in, in the VBC is just getting to know everybody. Uh, we're still within our little military network, mm-hmm. right, where everybody's got something in common. We all served and all that. But the beauty of it is is some people were only in for, you know, three, four years and then have been in the business world for a very long time. Those are the kind of people that you can, you know, reach out and say, hey, I'm supposed to do this. I don't know what this is. Can you help me out? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's been a lot of that. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think, just any kind of networking, that's that's what I've appreciated the most about it. And then there's that sense of tribe, that camaraderie, you know, that we all have something in common. And we all speak a similar language. So you can get in there and, and feel like you're, you know. In, in a safe space. In a safe space. <laughs> you know. I hate uh, using that term. But yeah, 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 just say whatever yeah. you want to say and, and joke. And, and how you want like to say do. it without having right. to overthink it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, very cool. I'm glad to hear that. We're getting close to the end of our, our time together today. There's a couple more points I'd like to hit. Um, one is, do you have uh, a way for people who are interested in working with you to get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can hit me up on LinkedIn, just Jody Fletcher. Uh, my website is e5professionalcoaching.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and you know, but I'm old, so I'm still trying to figure that stuff out at least the Instagram thing, but the best best way is either via the website or uh, LinkedIn, and then my email is jody at e5professionalcoaching.com. Now, I know you're, uh, you're a popular podcast guest, so people can hear more about what you do and how you do it on, all, on a lot of different podcasts. You've been on the Signal Fire podcast. You've been on a bunch of others. Uh, do, you, do you put out any content anywhere else? Do you have a blog or anything like that yet? Not yet. We're working on it. Okay. And I'm actually working on starting a podcast that will, depending on when this drops, will be out very soon in the next couple of weeks. Excellent. And we're I'm podcasting with Morgan Lattimore, who's also a veteran, and we're calling it That L Word. And it's a podcast about leadership and all the things that people are afraid to say out loud. Okay. Can't That's wait cool. for it. That's because it be makes awesome. you want to guess what the L word is constantly. Well, most, yeah, most people think it's love. Just want to blurt it out. Like, love. Love, right? Well, we talk a lot about love and leadership and mm-hmm. compassion and all the squishier side of leadership that actually makes a difference. Very that's, cool. That's cool. Yeah. I like the name. That's awesome. <laughs> that was Morgan. We we batted around a whole bunch of names for a while, and, and then he said, what about the L word? And I said, mm-hmm. well, there was a show called the L word back in the 90s, I think. I'm mm-hmm. probably dating myself. And... Then he was like, what about that L word? And I'm like, that's even better, right? I don't think we'll get in trouble with them. And it's, you know, it's talking about that L word. Awesome. If you had one or maybe a few things that you wanted to leave with the listeners, like foot stomps um, from Jody Fletcher, they could be advice on leadership or about starting your own business or transition or whatever it is, what would those things be? Or one thing or however many. I think, you know, my favorite quote is by Maya Angelou. And people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will always remember how you made them feel. So my advice is always just be a good human. And remember that you're making people feel a certain way. That's what's going to stick with them long after you're gone. Deep. What do you think, Avery? I like it. I would explain it way more technical. I, 
I think of it like your ability to channel energy across time and space, which I don't know how to intelligently explain, but it, I think you summarize it much easier than I do. <laughs> I like it. Avery always going for the technical aspect. <laughs> well, and really, it, it comes down to be the drop that starts the ripple. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. smile at somebody, you have no idea what that ripple effect is. Mm-hmm. If, if you're having a bad day and I smile at you, maybe I don't even know you. But it puts a smile on your face or you feel a little bit of warmth and positivity? I, I know exactly what you're saying. I had a conversation about this the other day that was, and, and it's going to sound silly, but have you ever shopped at Publix grocery store? I have. Have you ever noticed how sincerely polite all the people are that work there? Just like Chick-fil-A. It's crazy, dude. It's not like any other grocery store. Mm-hmm. I go to Publix. I have three grocery stores the same distance from my house. I go to Publix. Because every time I go there, by the time I've made <laughs> half a lap, I've had a half dozen people smile at me and ask me how my day's going. And if I, I can go in there in a bad mood, and nobody likes grocery shopping. Right. That's a miserable task. I enjoy So I can it. go to do something. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> so I can go in there mad and not happy about something that I have to be there for in the first place and still leave feeling better just because of what you just said. Yeah. The smiles and the, hey, how you doing, from people I don't even know. And that is a great example of an organization that probably has awesome culture. A phenomenal training program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to check this out. I've been going to Food Lion. I've just been getting excited once I see what the difference is from punching my number in. But I'll have to check out Publix. You're, you're missing out if you haven't been. I have a friend, Kenny, that buys groceries every day at Publix. And I'm guessing this is why, even if he doesn't know, because <laughs> it be. seems really inefficient. Like nothing spoils that quickly. No, no, most <laughs> things don't. Most things don't. They've got them. <laughs> One final ask, Jody. Do you have a book recommendation? Two. Okay. If you've got an organization that you're, if you're leading, I would recommend Tribal Leadership. And it's an old book. It's probably 15 years old at this point. That book is amazing. It talks a lot about networking and the value of people and how to build great organizations. The other book that I've read in the last year or so is called Essentialism. I think it's Greg McEwen, maybe. The second book is not as great, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that one, but Essentialism is awesome. And the the bluff on Essentialism is that we tend to pluralize the word priority, we being, you know, just a society. And that's what overwhelms us. And if you can distill that down and, and go back, get back to the singular form of, of uh, priority, it's going to help narrow a lot of things in your life and get rid of a lot of excess. Okay. I'm well. definitely going to check that out. That makes sense. Everything can't be a priority, can it? Then nothing's a priority. Right. And it also talks about the, the power of being able to say no, which a lot of people have a hard time doing. Yeah, for sure. You got anything else, Avery? No, I don't. I, someone gave uh, I saw someone in my family get that as a Christmas present. It was a book, The Power of Saying No or How to Say No. I can't remember the title exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of others that talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to have to check some of this stuff out. Well, very here. cool. Thanks for uh, joining us today, Jody. Really appreciate it. Some golden nuggets of leadership and uh, – organizational advice in there. Uh, it's great to hear your story. I think a lot of people are going to appreciate uh, hearing that you can start something while you're still on active duty and, and have it as a side hustle and keep it going when you transition. Yeah, It's a very inspiring uh, story to hear. So Appreciate it, and I, yeah. I enjoyed being on.
appreciate you guys having me. I can't wait to hear your podcast when it airs this month, right? It should be, yeah, January. We're shooting for January for sure. I think it'll be uh, not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. Excellent. Yeah. Everybody needs to look forward to that. Thanks for being here. Thanks, and guys. And until mm-hmm. next time. All right. FOLA Capital helps small businesses raise capital using one of the several programs authorized under the 2012 Jobs Act. They are especially passionate about helping to raise capital for veteran-owned, women, and minority-owned small businesses across the country. Be sure and check them out at folacapital.com.